Thank you for tuning in to this week's podcast from Discovery Church. Our hope is that this message would help you seek truth and find purpose. If you would like to know more about Discovery Church, please check us out online at mydiscoverychurch.ca. With that said, let's go to this week's message. And uh, But hope is on its way. Come on. And uh, so I'm really happy to be back here. Uh, thanks, Pastor Lauren and Shauna Lee, for doing such a great job of leading. Why don't you give them a big round of applause? The Dream Team and everyone is a part of Discovery. It's fantastic. We're in a series called Well Dwellers. And today we're going to talk about the only person that actually dwelled in a well. Everyone else drank from it or was near it. But this guy literally was thrown into a well by his brothers. How many people here have brothers? Put up here. I can't see. I'm just taking it by faith. You have brothers. And uh, how many people think your brothers would have no hesitation throwing you into a well? Yeah, me too. And uh, so we're going to talk about a guy by the name of Joseph. Joseph. And that we have up there, Life and Times of Joseph, a story of betrayal, adversity, perseverance, and forgiveness. Uh, maybe that describes your life in smaller, big ways. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. And uh, let's pray. God, thanks for today. Uh, we do thank you for the snow. While it does inconvenience us, we know, God, it helps so many people with the moisture and all of these things. So, God, we do thank you for it. Keep everyone safe today. And for this word, as we come into a seeding season uh, with the farmers, we pray that the word of God now would seed our hearts and minds and let it produce a great result. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. The story of Joseph is one of the longest stories in the Bible. Quite often, it will be a chapter. But this guy gets uh, from Genesis chapter 37 to chapter 50. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read all 13 chapters this morning. And why are you laughing? No, we're not. I'm going to summarize it for you. The summary will be up there on the screen. Uh, Joseph was the second youngest of 12 sons. He was the favorite, though. You may remember uh, or have seen or have heard of Joseph in his Technicolor dream coat. Joseph was the guy that had the special coat. He was the favorite. How many people here think you were the favorite of, the, of your siblings? None. Okay, there's a couple. I can see you out there. So he was the favorite. So automatically, as soon as you put someone as the greatest, it means that there's someone who's the worst. And the brothers felt like they were the worst. And so they, in the story, he was despised by his brothers. He was a tattletale. The Bible even tells us that. He actually ratted out his brothers to his dad. And then he was betrayed by them. And he was betrayed at the moment he started getting dreams by God, dreams of destiny, dreams of future. And when he started dreaming, his brothers started scheming. And he was now thrown in and sold into slavery and forced to live in a foreign land. And his brothers lied to his dad, saying, look, we kept his jacket, there's blood all over it. He was ripped to shreds by a wild animal and, his, and the favorite son was now dead, but he was actually sold into slavery and sent into Egypt. He was wrongly accused there. He quickly found success in Potiphar's home, who was a high-ranking official in, in Egypt. And, and uh, he was lied about. His, Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce him. And, and sleep with him, and he didn't, and ran away, and Potiphar's wife lied, and he ended up wrongly accused in prison. 
He was betrayed by people again there. Two of Pharaoh's servants uh, had a dream, and the dream was what they couldn't figure out what it meant. So they asked Joseph, Joseph, what does this dream mean? And he said, well, one of you is going to be reinstated, and the other one is going to be, well, killed. And, uh, and this, this is your destiny, and this is your destiny. You're like, could you imagine being the one hearing that you're going to die? I was like, I didn't want that dream interpreted. Thank you very much. Uh, and, and so the other one gets reinstated, but then forgets about Joseph. And these forgotten promises leave him in prison two more years. And then Pharaoh has a dream. He can't get it interpreted. And then the, the, the cupbearer's like, oh, wait a second. I know a guy. How many people have ever said that? I know a guy. He's like, I, I, I know a guy. There's a guy in prison named Joseph. And he, well, get him up here. And so Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, says there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, and this is what you need to do. And Pharaoh goes, I like this guy. He just, I, I don't know if that, that's Paul's paraphrased edition, but he's like, that, that, that's what the Bible says. I like this guy. So you know what he does? He goes from prison to second in command in all of Egypt. But the famine just doesn't happen in Egypt. The famine's actually happening everywhere. And so Joseph's dad, Jacob, and the brothers start realizing we're going to run out of food. And the only place there's food is in Egypt. And so the brothers go to Egypt expecting to meet the Pharaoh or some high-ranking official and not knowing it's Joseph. Could you imagine the fear at that moment, knowing that you have betrayed your brother, sold him into slavery? And yet Joseph in this says... He believes this was God's plan all from the beginning and thanks God for it. What? I'd want to punch my brothers right in the face. I'd want to cut them off at the knees. I want to feed them to the goats. Like, I I mean, this is, I, 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 and Joseph, look at the scripture verse here in Genesis chapter 45, verses four to eight. It's up on the screen for you. The brothers have finally come to him and he's about to reveal that he's Joseph. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. What? For two years now there has been a famine in the land. In the next five years there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you. To preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. It's kind of a funny variation here of it's not you, it's me. Have you noticed that? It's, it's, a, it's a funny variation where it's not you, it's God. You should try that in dating sometime. Try that, just like, yeah, you, you want to get out. You wanna, it's not you, it's, it's God. And then give us feedback to Pastor Lauren's email and let him know how it, how, how it went, okay? But I do think Joseph's response is absolutely incredible here. Think of the betrayal. Think of the adversity. Think of all of these things. How could you get to that point? How could you get to the point where at the end of it, the time you have to get back vengeance, you choose not to? And you say it was God all along and he thanks God for it. I love the Bible. Because even thousands of years later, this story is still teaching. If you're willing to learn today, 
If you're willing to learn today, the Bible is alive. And it can produce a harvest in your life. You need to get into the Bible. Download a Bible app. If you're new to church, uh, I think we have some Bibles here. But just download that Bible app and, and just begin to read and explore what it's all about. Because you will learn so much about life's, uh, life lessons. So the first thing that we need to see in the story is God's purpose requires God's perspective. I don't think you get it right away either. I don't think Joseph, when he was thrown into the well, started singing, How great is our God. You know, sing with me. No, he's by himself. Who is he supposed to sing with? He's not praising God in that moment. He doesn't have God's perspective. He's like, guys, get me out of here. You're my brothers. What, What are you doing? And then sold it. You're selling me into slavery? He's not singing no longer slaves at that point because he's actually becoming one. So it happens. It's a journey. You don't know God's perspective always right in the middle of it. It takes time. And we don't even always get full disclosure, but in it we learn to see God's hand. You will learn to begin to see God's hand, God's ways in both the good and the bad, even though you may have questions. It was my last year of Bible college, going through a very difficult time, struggling with some, some, uh, some anxiety, and, and my body wasn't responding well. And, and, and to this day, I don't know why I needed to go through it. I don't understand. I don't get the explanation. But here's what I do. I keep trusting. I keep, I keep trusting and believing that, that God used it for good. You see, God's perspective takes maturity, experience, and trust. Going through difficulty, discouragement, but mostly God's perspective just takes time. And there's something about lengthy trials that have a way of creating humility. Can I get an amen out there? Some of you have walked through that. You've walked through a lengthy trial and you realize in that moment there's, there, you have, you've come to the conclusion that this is bigger than me and I don't understand. God is God and I am who I am. And there's something about having that place of humility that gives you God's perspective. So perspective number one. Can't have God's perspective in unforgiveness. Can't do it. Joseph's journey to forgiveness was not an easy one, I'm sure. It took time, but it also took a choice. See, I'm not sure you can see God's perspective if you're looking at others and seeing the pain that they caused you. You see, unforgiveness blinds us to God's perspective. And maybe you're here today and you're just thinking about that person that hurt you and think about that situation and think about this. This unforgiveness, when your focus is on that, you cannot see from God's perspective. And forgiveness is not saying what they did was right or that it didn't hurt or that you're totally recovered. It was a number of years ago, and please don't judge me for this. I was watching Oprah. Some of you don't even remember Oprah. Like, who's Oprah? Anyways, I know, it's funny. Uh, Oprah had this talk show, and she brought on this lady who had gone through this horrible experience. She had been taken by some men, uh, sexually assaulted, beaten, and left for dead outside of this city. And she survived somehow. And she came back and 
has this wonderful story of recovery and redemption. And, and Oprah's interviewing her and says this, how could you forgive them? How could you forgive them? They took so much from you. How could you forgive them? And she said, the answer was pretty simple when I realized that they were still robbing from me because I hadn't forgiven them. She says, when I forgave them, I put an end to the robbery. They're no longer going to steal more of my emotional energy, my mental energy. They weren't, they weren't going to steal more of my time. And there's something about forgiveness, and some of you need to hear this, that's absolutely freeing for you. And it actually starts the healing process. And we see Joseph here. We see Joseph having to go through this process, going through pain and difficulty, but coming to this place of choosing to forgive. I have a friend of mine. He probably stole it from someone else, but I'll, I'll give him credit. And he says, he says that unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person gets hurt. It's only hurting you. And you see, Joseph had to get to the point. He could not see God's divine plan. He could not see God's divine uh, perspective when he was fixated on his brothers and fixated on people who lied about him and fixated on the betrayal and fixated on the difficulty. Pull your eyes off of that. Forgive and let freedom come to you. And if you don't have his perspective, then you won't have the strength to persevere and could end up quitting too soon. We're going to talk about that in a, little, in a moment. Perspective number two. Life's not fair and neither is God. Let's talk about the first part. Life's not fair. We sure love fairness, don't we? I'm a really big fan of it. I want to give my kids all the same. You know, if one guy, you know, especially when, you know, the tooth fairy and whatever, you know, tooth fairy. I feel like teeth have gone up in price so much. But anyways, <laughs> but it used to be 25 cents for me. But that, you know, that was when dinosaurs roamed the earth and all those things. But, you know, so, you know, I, I remember growing up, my brothers, you know, mom would say, hey, we'd say, mom, can we have some ice cream? She's like, yeah, no problem, have ice cream. And then, and then we'd be like, well, we want to make it fair. So one would scoop and then the other one would get the first pick. The zoo had to be fair. And, uh, and we absolutely love fair. But if you look at Joseph's life, nothing about his life was fair. Nothing was fair. He was the favorite son. But because he was the favorite son, he was betrayed and sold into slavery by his brothers. And then through that whole process, brought from jail to second in command. What's fair about any of it? Any of it? Punishment didn't fit the crime and the reward didn't fit the injustice. But we don't need Joseph's life to tell us that life isn't fair. We know it. Some live long lives. Some live short lives. Some have lots of money. Some, have, some live paycheck to paycheck. Some people are called to be CEOs while others are called to serve the impoverished. Some are healthy. Some are sick. Some are born in Canada. Some are born outside of Canada. Yet we'd all agree that life's not fair. But we still expect fairness, don't we? We say, oh yeah, life's not fair. Until it happens to us, we expect it. When someone around you gets a pay raise and you don't, you don't go, praise the Lord. Glory be to Jesus. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm flying home last night, and the people on the one side of the plane, their TV stopped working just at the last half. That's the worst. I don't get to tell you what airline, but you can probably guess it. And so, and so TV stopped working. 
And the stewardess is just falling over herself trying to make it, you know, hey, we're, what can we do? Like, we can move you to another seat, but even if we move you to another seat, we're going we're gonna to give you this voucher. And, and she's like throwing snacks to the one side of the plane, and I'm starving. <laughs> so she's just throwing snacks. She's like, is there anything we can do to make your flight better? And I'm like sitting there with my TV. I'm not using it. And I'm like, I felt like, I wanted to say to her, well, my first flight here, my TV didn't work. I, I flew from Chicago to Toronto last night. And it was like, my TV didn't work. Nobody was falling over me. Nobody's throwing pretzels at me. Nobody's giving a voucher to me. I want to say, hey, 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 that's not fair. It's not fair. This has got to be retroactive. Yeah, life isn't fair. What about God? What do you think? Is God fair? Does he say he's going to be fair? Do we expect him to be fair? You look at Joseph's life and you could have seen, uh, could God have come in and changed the course of Joseph's life? Yeah, he probably could have, but it wouldn't have been because he was trying to be fair. I would suggest for you thinking that God isn't fair. I don't think he ever will be. Now, don't leave the church. Don't say, honey, get the kids. We're out of here. Uh, we're going to get to some good news here in a second. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is telling the story of what the kingdom of God is like. It's like, a, it's like a, a, a guy who owns a vineyard and hires people in the morning. And then he realizes there's still people standing around who don't have a job. Comes back three hours later. And then comes back six hours later. Hires, hires, hires. In the 11th hour, he's hiring people. And then at the end of it, the guys are all standing there going, well, I started the earliest, so I should get paid the most. And then it's like, well, yeah, that's true, but I should get paid the second most, and I should get the third most. And the master goes, everybody gets paid the same. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? I know we, we, we read the story and go, oh, what a cute story. Isn't that precious? Imagine you're the one that was working all day. Imagine you go to work tomorrow, and everybody's getting paid the same, okay? Everybody's getting paid the same, but most of the people are allowed to come in at 3.30, and everyone gets paid the same. How's that going to make you feel? And people, the story's like, people are frustrated. They're saying, that's not fair. And the master says, why are you upset? It's my decision to make. You, I paid you for what you did, and I paid, I can do whatever I want. You see, God's not fair, but he's extremely generous. Can I get an amen out there? And here's the deal. You don't actually want God to be fair. It actually works out in your favor. You think of the story of Easter. Pastor Lauren talked about we're doing this big outreach at the Easter at the wreck. And we want to get people, as many people there as possible as we can. Because this incredible story of Jesus. There was nothing about Jesus' story that was fair and innocent. First of all, the Son of God coming to be a servant. And then for him to, uh, to be ridiculed, beaten, and bruised, an innocent man being crucified on the cross, and God the Father was okay with seeing his son die on a cross. I can tell you today, there is nothing about God that is fair. If it was fair, we would be up on the cross. We would have to earn. We would have to work. We want God to be generous. We don't want him to be fair. There's no way we could ever repay the love and the grace and everything that he gives us. And Jesus modeled it for us. That we are not 
that we're supposed to be servants first. And that's not fair. But fairness gets its energy in entitlement and expectation, especially in comparison. Jesus was a person of no reputation. He came to serve. He had no entitlement, even though he was entitled to everything. Imagine if we lived that way. Imagine if we lived and we thought that we are not entitled to anything. And in reality, we don't have to be because we already, if you've invited Jesus into your heart, you've already got more than you ever will need. Can I get an amen out there? You don't have to worry about what others have. You've already got more than you deserve. And yet we look at others. But it's about what's your attention. What is grabbing your attention? If you're looking at others, fairness gets its life. Joseph could have looked at his brothers and saw them as betrayers, but he looked and saw, looked at God and saw this as God's hand in everything. And this doesn't make sense to how we function and how we think in Canadian culture. <clears throat> my parents, my in-laws, we as parents, we think about fairness. We want to give people, you know, we want to give all of our kids the same amount. So if they got, you know allowance, then everybody gets the same allowance, and everybody gets this. Why? Because we love them equally, of course, but they also talk to each other, right? And we don't want to answer the question, how come they get, why don't they get, this is unfair. Why do you love us or like us less? Because I think We actually think fairness is a lack of acceptance or approval. But can I tell you this? When you invite Jesus into your life, you're in equal standing with everyone. You don't have to worry about what other people have. Excuse me. Because I'm in equal standing. This fairness thing doesn't work with God. So when we we perceive God not to be fair, we think he doesn't love us as much. Well, look how happy their marriage is. Look at the nice house. Look at their car. Well, God must really love them. doesn't work that way. He already accepts you. And he's absolutely in love with you. And he wants what's best for you. In fact, he can't actually love you any more than he already does right now. He can't do it. He has given all of who he is in his love. And it's not dependent on what we do, what we earn, or what we say. It's just us. This is why God's so amazing. But why do we get treated differently then? Well, I don't totally know, but let me take a shot at it. Because he knows the specific plans and purposes that he has for your and my life. And it's going to require different planning. He knows everything about you, and he knows what's best. He even knows the hairs on your head. Don't, no bald jokes, please. <laughs> and for you to see God's purposes, you cannot be treated the same as everyone else. We know this. Everyone gets different career training. Accountants, doctors, lawyers, mechanics, teachers, scientists, business specialists. You wouldn't want a neurosurgeon working on your brakes. We have specific training. There are specific things you need to go through. God has got you on a different path. You are unique. No one is like you. No one has your purpose. No one has your future. So why should we all think we get the same treatment? Don't compare. You don't need to compare. 
You've already got more than enough. God's got you on a specific plan. He hasn't forgotten about you. He's way more than fair. He's good. Number three, God's perspective requires perseverance. Character, grit, tenacity is grown and tested in difficulty, not comfort. Everybody wants to be comfortable. These chairs, we want them more comfortable. Everybody wants to be more comfortable. We want this relationship with Jesus. It's like Jesus and me, tweedledee-dee, and everything's fine, and little fairies like flick pic, pixie dust everywhere. Just, just We want flowers and smiles and everything. But Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. Heads up. I love how Paul the Apostle says, you're going through trials as if some strange thing is happening to you. We're supposed to go through it. We're supposed to go through it. There's a training. There's a purpose. There's a character building. And if you don't have his perspective... You will give up too soon in the tough times. Or maybe when you're in it, you'll pray the difficulty away. And instead of having 20 years experience, you'll have one year experience 20 times. Some of you are in the tough times right now and you're wondering, I just want to get out of this. And God's saying, no, I don't want you to get out of it. I want you to get through it. And I'm going to help you. Get my perspective. Stop comparing. Stop holding on to this fairness. Get my perspective. Begin to forgive other people and see a better and brighter future for you. And it comes down to trust. Will you trust God? If we had time, I would pull some of those who have been in the faith a long time and I would ask them a question. If we had time, I I could line them up. Said, has God been ever... Has God ever been unfaithful? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you just said, no, God wasn't there for me? Those who walked with Jesus, we could walk them across the stage and say, yeah, God's been with me every step of the way. I remember asking my my grandfather, he's in his 90s now. I said, can you remember one time? And he's been through a lot. I said, can you remember one time, one time that God wasn't faithful? One time tears well up in his eyes. I can't remember one time. This is the God we serve. This morning, it's about focus. Jesus said, or the author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. There's something about fixing your eyes on God. Not the problems, not the people, not the unfairness, not the difficulty. Turn, lift up your heads, fix your eyes on God today. And watch him come through. And you have a choice today to do that. You can choose to believe that God's word is true. That he is with you, cares for you, cares about you, loves you wants the best for you. You can believe today that he's done more for you than you could ever repay. You can believe that he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-ever-present. You can believe that God is never-failing, long-suffering, and always kind. You can remind yourself of his faithfulness and his promises, and you can believe that God is for you even when everything wants to tell you otherwise. Thanks for taking time to listen to this week's message from Discovery Church. 
If this ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Please email us at info at mydiscoverychurch.ca. 